That's right. That's right. Test, test, we good? I really, I really wish I could rap. <laughs> I really wish I could rap. I really wish I could. I'm surprised you can't. Because you are, you are, you give the spoken word all the time, and that's really what it is anyway. All you got to do is put music to it because you speak in, all, in uh, alliterations anyway. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm on, I might have to turn in my black card if I can't. I, ain't, I, I really don't even know. I didn't even like rap music, but I love this beat right here. So. Anyway, y'all know what it is. Y'all know what it is. Welcome, everybody. This is the Keith Battle Podcast. I am Keith Battle. And that voice you heard in the background is our special guest today. I am super excited about today's podcast. I really am. This week is going to really be powerful because we're going to hear from a powerful woman in the world of business and in ministry, which I think is really dope, you know, to have a powerful space and success in both worlds. Dr. Shirley Davis, also known as the success doctor, is a certified speaking professional, an accomplished business executive. She's a global workforce management expert. She's the author of multiple books, and she has built an amazing career all while also being a mom. Dr. Davis's book, The Seat, How to Get Invited to the Table When You're Overperforming but Undervalued is going to be the primary focus of our discussion today, and I can't wait to get into it. Dr. Davis, welcome to the Keith Battle Podcast. Hello, hello, Keith. It's amazing to be here. Thank you for the honor of inviting me, and hello to all of the listening audience. I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Yes, yes, I'm excited, and I'm really excited about your book, The Seat. I got into it. It's an amazing book, and it's not just going to bless people who are trying to climb the ladder of success, who are trying to get out of obscurity into a place of notoriety, trying to get to the table, to a seat at the table. But for me, as somebody already at the table, and I lead two organizations, I lead a church and a business, for me, the book was so insightful as a business owner. And if you're a business owner listening to this, I know it may sound like a book that you don't need, but even though there are people who are trying to ascend to the seat, and get to the table. We're going to talk about what the seat at the table is all about. It is a very insightful book for business owners who need to understand diversity, the importance of diversity, the importance of not just gender diversity, but age diversity, cultural diversity, and all of those things that can impact the bottom line of your business and the success of your organization. So thank you so much for writing that book. We won't have time on this podcast, but you actually give 12 strategies to people for getting a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And I know we won't have time to go through all of them. Maybe we can touch on a few of them today. Um, But of course, our listening orders can purchase the book and get the rest. But when you say the seat at the table, what exactly are you referring to? So thank you for asking that. And the book is timely, it's relevant. And for me, it was necessary. The book does capture 12 of the strategies. And I wrote it because I myself am a woman, I'm a business owner, I was a working professional in corporate America trying to climb that corporate ladder. And I recognized that there were a lot of obstacles that were um, imposed on me, you know, know, unapologetically, right? So I had to really write this to talk a bit about what we can do to take our power back as working 
professionals or individuals that may be in an underrepresented group or in a diverse minority group. And so when I talk about, um, you know, the specific quote that you asked about the seat, it can be your interview seat where you're trying to get a job. It can be at the negotiation seat where you've got to convince people or you're talking about budgets or promotions or you're talking to a client trying to close a deal or a sale or even talking about getting uh, to the next level in your career. So it's those types of seats. It's any seat that you see yourself at where you want to have influence and be able to make decisions and have some level of a return on that investment. Wow, that's good. So it can be a seat of opportunity. It can mm-hmm. be a seat of of turning what we're going to talk about later, a contact into a contract. <laughs> that's right. It could be a seat of, hey, how do I get to the seat where they make decisions in this organization from being an outsider to an insider and having a voice in decision making? So all of those things you talk about mm-hmm. accessing that seat. So, so what are some of the strategies for actually getting to the table without giving all of them? What are some that just stand out that somebody, you absolutely have to have these things in place in order to access the seat? Yeah, and re- recognize too that when you read the book, it is strategies that I had to employ my own li- in my own career and in my own life, and it came from a, an extensive amount of research, but also coming from coaching, being mentored, and talking to others who had already acquired that seat and were being successful. So some of the things that I learned early on is that you have to make sure that you learn the business. So it's not enough to just have a job, but you want to understand the company and what they do and why it's important, how they service their clients and their customers? How do they make their money? What's important to them relative to their values? And too many times I find that individuals don't even know what the operating plan is of the organization. They haven't read the annual report. They don't look at the strategic plan and understand the objectives and what's keeping the CEO up at night. That's critical. Another strategy is that you want to collaborate up, down, and across the organization. Another one is that you need to build relationships with people beyond just your immediate team. You want to get to know people in various parts of the organization and more importantly, let them get to know you. Uh, And I'll give one more and that's the importance of getting out of the office because a lot of the decisions that are made are not made while we're sitting in our office or in our cubes with the door closed, with our heads down, trying to get results, trying to get the work done. A lot of the decisions are made out on the golf course. They're made after work when you're going out for drinks after work. Now, I don't drink, but I drink ginger ale. I know how Mm -hmm. to drink a Coca-Cola, but the important thing is I'm at the table where conversations are being had. I don't play golf, but I learned how to play golf because I recognized that at the level that I was, I needed to understand and meet what meet the leaders and understand what was keeping them up at night. What were they challenged by? What were some of the upcoming projects and some of the the new initiatives and assignments that they were looking for great people? So that helped me get out of the office and recognize that I got to make myself visible and make myself known and get to know the leaders. You know, that's 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 really helpful. And I'm glad you said that, because, you know, obviously the one that resonates with me the most is make sure, you know, what's keeping the CEO up all night. Yeah. Um, I love people who care about what I care about or what concerns me and who are absolutely committed to helping solve the problems and take weight off of me. Um, But what I also like about what you just said is even though you don't drink alcohol, you're at the bar or you're at the table where drinks are being consumed by other people. Mm -hmm. And even though you didn't play golf, you learn how to play. 
you were willing to get out of your comfort zone to get into the context where decisions and deals were being made and and ideas were being forged and massaged and thought through. And I think that's very critical that, you know, we're not asking people to compromise who they are, but you're going to have to be a little uncomfortable to be successful. And it is. Means, you know, yeah. Keith, um, Paul, Paul did this and, and he talked to us about doing it. He says that you have to learn how to be all things to all men that you might win them. And I've been mm -hmm. able to, you're right, strip off a part of some of, you know, some of who what I didn't want to do. Right. And to get into that space and that place. And like you said, into that context so that if nothing else, I knew that I could bring some real value to the conversation, that I could bring some ideas to some salute to some ideas and some solutions to some challenges that they were having. And so it was no big deal for me to be sitting at the cocktail table drinking ginger ale. And matter of fact, there are a couple of times where they asked me what I wanted to drink as far as the wine. And I said, hey, I'm not a drinker, but I would love to have, you know, a ginger ale or something like that. Not a big deal. It didn't disqualify me. But as a matter of fact, I was there and being authentic and being still still being true to myself. I love that. I love that. And, you know, a lot, you know, we, we're going to spend most of our time today talking about the business side of what you do. Yeah. But like myself, you're also involved in ministry. You're a kingdom person. You're a Christ follower. And I think it's important that people understand that people like us are not one dimensional because people try to put you in a box. If you're an ordained minister, they feel like that's all you should be doing is just walking around mm -hmm. and praying and reading the Bible right. and then teaching Bible and, and doing Bible study and and then opening up the Bible again and then taking it to the hospital and reading it to people. And, and I'm not, I'm not, and by any ways, by in any way disparaging that because there are people who do ministry at that level. They, but at the same time, when God has put different passions and gifts inside of us, we can explore the various components to ourselves and find richness and fulfillment in other areas of life. And, uh, and so I want people to, to understand that Dr. Shirley Davis is also an ordained minister. She's an yes. elder in yes. the church and preaches the word of God and all of those things and serves in the ecclesiastical community. Absolutely. But she's also, she knows how to do business in Egypt. And that's what made Joseph special. It wasn't just his relationship with God and his integrity and his character. And he had that at a very high level to the point where he wouldn't even have sex with a woman who darn near raped him to try to get some from him. <laughs> But the man knew how to tell Pharaoh how we do business in Egypt. He knew how to operate in that space as well. And, I, and I'm, I'm really excited about that part. With that in mind, you've had a major, you're, again, you have major success in the business world. In spite of these things, you, you, I would consider a triple, triple obstacle. You're a woman. You're African-American. Uh -huh. And you did a lot of climbing that corporate ladder, as I heard you say, uh, in Atlanta when we were speaking as a single mom. Yes. Can you talk about those challenges and some of the ways you were held back and how you overcame? Talk about that to that single mom out there or that African-American woman who's listening now who feels, who's not only feeling, it's not a perceived being held back. It's real. It's real. The it's real. And the glass ceiling and all of that discrimination, particularly under the political you know, regime that we're facing now. Yeah. Talk about that in your own journey. 
Yeah. And, you know, this has been over my 30 year span in corporate America because I've been working since I was, you know, 15 years old and even through college and all of that. So I got into corporate America in my college years and banking. But I have always experienced, you know, certain things, for example, like being denied opportunities for promotions that were given to other people who were already cherry picked or to training people who would later become my supervisor or my boss or being marginalized and trivialized or experiencing microaggressions or in my performance reviews being surprised by ratings that had no substantiation or no justification. I've even experienced times where I've been accused of getting certain roles simply because of tokenism or there have been times where I have been put in certain positions because they were looking for some wallpaper and some photo opportunities. So all of those have contributed to obstacles and challenges in my life. And oh, by the way, as I continue to move up the corporate ladder, I was always chasing this carrot where I was being told that if you just get take, you know, get this education, if you just take this one more class, if you get this certification, if you take on this assignment, if you take on this work, if you work these long amount of hours, if you travel. So I'm doing all of these things and the carrot kept moving every time I would get closer to it. Not only that, it was being told to me by people who didn't have half the education, half the certifications and hadn't done any of what they were asking for me to do. So it was not only a carrot principle that I was having to face, but it was also jumping through constant hoops that, you know, you jump through one and it's like it was a never ending um, hoop that you had to jump over. So all of those are things that I experienced in my career. And the challenges is not only being a woman and a person of color, but yeah, then having gone through a divorce and then being a single parent, having to deal with the challenges and some of the biases that even go along with that as well. So it's, you know, being a woman. Yeah, but now you're a single parent, so they deny you opportunities to travel and not, you know, not even looking at whether or not you've got a support system, which I had, not thinking about whether or not this was something that I really wanted to do, and I did, but they were making decisions for me based on their perception of my availability, based on, the, you know, their perceptions of my interests and my skill set. So, one of the things, and real quick, I'll share with you this is that for me, I had to uh, really learn how how to overcome a lot of those things in my career. Ultimately, I did. And I know we'll talk about that. And then I literally moved up the corporate ladder to being a manager, a supervisor, a senior director, a vice president, and a, you know, and then a senior executive reporting into the CEO of a very uh, large global organization. So it's not been easy. It's been paid with a lot of challenges, obstacles, setbacks, and all of that. But I have learned a lot throughout that process. And at the end of the day, I've been able to overcome it. So it wasn't easy, but it was, it was certainly, uh, it was something that for me, it was a learning experience. And it sounds like as you shared all of those kind of obstacles that you had to deal with, not just personal, the yeah. fact that things that I can't change, I can't change the fact that I'm, I'm an African-American woman. I can't change the fact that I'm a divorcee and I'm, so I got, you know, I'm raising this child alone. Right. But, but, but some of the cultural or systemic obstacles, like how people perceive you when you're a single mom, that you mm -hmm. don't want to travel. I'm sure you don't, I'm sure you're not going to be able to do that, but your, your child need to be taking a daycare or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what, what my, my guess is, is that the thing that kept the thing that, that, that made you continue to ascend is that you had to have drive and commitment. Like, like you just kept pushing, kept going. And Absolutely. Is, is that, 
And, yeah. and you know, what's interesting, Keith, in all of this is I moved up that corporate ladder. I know we're talking business, but you also mentioned that I've been in ministry for nearly 20 years myself, too, because I was saved at an early age uh, while I was in college. And I've been in a committed relationship with Christ all of my <clears throat> career. And so not only did I experience some of those same kind of obstacles and challenges because I was a woman, uh, I experienced that also in the church and, you know, mm. going through some of those um those perceptions that, you know, a woman can't preach, that a woman can't be in a leadership role. And there's been many times that I've gone to certain places where my male counterparts were able to sit on the on stage and I could not. So, And there's been times where I know that I could preach a whole lot better than somebody I was sitting under listening to, you know, and my male counterparts invited and I'm not. And so, yeah, there, there, it's been there. I've been in pageants all of my career as well. I competed since I was 15 years old. And and even in pageants, competing amongst a mostly all-white um, audience of um, contestants, I was usually the underdog and certainly marginalized, and no one ever thought that I would win because I was the only one that looked like me in the pageant. Yeah, I think I think I don't know I don't know all the books you've written, but it's got to be one in you <laughs> about drive and <laughs> and grind because no. When you think about all you've been up against, and when you, I had to smile while you were talking about the church holding back women because I was actually trained that way. I, I actually came up in a very conservative church background, went to a very, I went to a predominantly white evangelical conservative Bible college. So mm -hmm. women weren't allowed to do anything in church. Y'all work with the kids, maybe, but you know, you weren't, you literally. Yeah. Take that verse literally that women were supposed to be silent in church. Right. Like, so, so I'm still like unlearning some of those biases that we were taught. And, and then, you know, you know, the, the, the whole thing about boundaries and integrity and, you know, where I, where I travel with pastors and my preachers and we hang out and we do guy stuff together. Like how do we create space for the ladies or the girls to, to be in this space? So it's still complicated. Yeah. Even for me in this space. But I do think, you know, there's got to be a book in you about drive and just the relentless commitment to continue to go after what you know you had a right to have. Absolutely. So, so when you write it, um, you know, I'll just take a percentage of the royalties or whatever. You know, we can, I'll let you write the forward for me. <laughs> yeah, we can agree on that. So let's shift a little bit. We talked about your faith. How, so, so we already know that you've had challenges in the faith community, mm -hmm. which your faith played a, played a major role in your professional and financial success. But I guess what my question would be to that is when you cross business and ministry, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we, 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 we may have touched on this a little bit when we were in Atlanta, but have you found, um, and forgive me if I'm re-asking a question that you already answered, but have you found that a challenge in the thinking of people in the church community Versus the thinking of people in the in the corporate community, particularly when it comes to compensating you, because one of the ways you make money, one of the major ways you make money is as a speaker. So yes. you, you're a national speaker, you're an international speaker, you you consult, you train. Yeah. And of course you do that. So you might be preaching, you might be preaching in a church in 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 Minnesota on Sunday and that Monday working with a a, a corporation in that city talk about if you can if you're comfortable with it the difference in how that whole 
whole process bears out financially, not so much in dollar amount, but in 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 the mentality about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I feel like I'm being careful about it, but do you do you feel, are you tracking with me on that question? I am, but I ain't gonna be careful. So what I find is that when you deal with the church, the church really wants to um, dumb down your your skill set when it comes to having to then pay for the skill and the service. Well, obviously, corporate America has a whole lot of money that they can pay out, so it's a little different. But here's the thing: I've learned how to separate my service to the church and then my business and my gifting and my calling as an entrepreneur. So there is a different scale that I use for charging corporate clients. And then there's a different scale that I have even for nonprofits. And then there's even a different scale that I have for church. But I'm not big on unless I believe truly that God is saying to me, this one is free. I don't normally do a lot of that. Now, I serve my local church. I'm very involved in my church as an elder and as a leader. And I can tell you, I spend an absorbent amount of time, energy, and give a lot of my services, my time, my talent, and my treasure, right? I give it to them without fee. But I also understand, too, that there are times when it's going to cost me a lot of time. It's going to take away from my day job, and it's going to require a lot of expenses. And in those times, and I will, you know, have the church take care of stuff like that. If they want me to come fly to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they're not going to pay for that, and I got to pick up the, the charge for that, seriously, the Lord better has spoken directly that this is my special assignment for that. Otherwise, they need to be considering an honorarium, and I oftentimes will offer you know, what, what other churches have paid for the services. So yes, that's an important part of it. And I also think, the other thing I find out about our church folk, you know, we love our saints and our brothers and sisters, is that they do tend to look for uh, oftentimes a handout when they see that you're very successful and, and you're a professional running your own business and you got a global brand then I can't tell you how many people in the church want me to help pay their utility bills their mortgage payment they got you know situations that have come up and so I have also had to learn to pull back from that and send them to benevolence letting them know I'm a tither I give to the church and there it goes some of that goes to the benevolence fund so go through the church. So they have kind of cut us out, from, cut out, cut out the people from going to individuals asking them for money. But again, I have to help them understand that there are services that they still as a church need to pay for because everybody has to make their own living and nobody goes to work every day and not get paid, you know, a paycheck. So. No, that's great. I love that too. So you, you may want to move out of the money section in your church to the to the, to the people. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you know what? The fact that folks know wherever I sit going to be the money section. <laughs> ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, so you spent years in corporate America yeah. sitting, you've sat at numerous tables, but at some point you made the decision to shift from building everybody else's thing to building your own brand, yeah. your own company, your own yeah. enterprise. Tell us about what you did, how you how you made that shift and how you made that jump from working for someone else to working for yourself exclusively, because there are a lot of people listening right now and they're incurable entrepreneurs just like me. I am an incurable entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur since I was a teenager. I just can't work for nobody. I just I can. And I don't mind. You know, you want to want to make people successful. I don't. And I, I feel like I work for every client that I have. So I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that I don't want to work for anybody in that sense, but 
I've always had creative ideas that I wanted to explore and I always wanted to take the limitations off of my own uh, wealth wealth potential. So talk to people out there about how you did it, what you put in place, because what I find often is that people are jumping with no net in place. And and then they never recover from it. So talk about your journey because I've never I never even talked to you about this. What what your transition process was like? Yeah. So like I said, I was in corporate America for nearly thirty years, and I worked in various industries and sectors and size companies, but most of all of them were large global brands in financial services and banking and retail sales and nonprofit, as well as in uh, manufacturing and the energy industry. So I worked at some great companies. Here's the thing: I was making a great great six-figure salary. So you can imagine how difficult it was for me to even be thinking and considering leaving. But like you said, one of the things that kept pulling me in addition to my purpose, and I knew that God had called me to something bigger and greater, but the other thing that kept pulling me back was a steady paycheck with benefits and you know that you can at least know that you had a good salary. And it's like, okay, now I'm getting ready to take a leap and a risk and I'm going to jump out there and it's not, it's not guaranteed. But at the end of the day, for me, I had to trust God and knowing that he was calling me to something bigger and greater. And if you could do it on your own, it wasn't God. But when God calls you to do something, it's going to require you to have to trust in him and not lean on your own understanding. So I did. You know, I had a a mentor of mine. uh, He used to always tell me, jump first and grow your wings on the way down, but only jump when you calculate it the jump, right? So you have to know that you've got the skills, the talents, you got the gifting, you've already done some of the work, you put the foundation in place, and now you can jump. So what you don't want to do is be afraid and be fearful of jumping off, knowing that you already got your gear in place and everything's ready to go. So when I did get to this place of, okay, now I really want to do more, it, it became more of an unsettledness in my spirit. There was something I knew that it was calling me, it was pulling me and tugging at me. And as I continue to seek God about it, I knew that my time was imminent. So I began to work my three-year exit strategy. So I want people to hear that. I worked a exit strategy. So I didn't just jump without having prepared, without having calculated, and without having done some of the the foundational work. So I worked this through your exit strategy and during that time, I was saving money. I was paying off my bills and paying off debt, getting my credit, everything straight. I was getting rid of some NIOPs. I call that negative influences of other people. I was getting rid of some bad and some um, some weight that was besetting me, that was causing me to think differently and to be limited in my thinking. I surrounded myself with people who were smarter than me, more successful than me, who were doing what I already wanted to do. I hung around millionaires and not hundredaires or thousandaires because I didn't want to have a small business. I really wanted to have a global consulting firm and I really wanted it to be a multi-million dollar company. Um, I started started then building my business plan, all of this while I'm still working my full-time job, high performer, high potential, doing all of the things I'm supposed to do that I'm getting paid for. But my weekends, my evenings, my vacation time was spent 
putting in the work and doing all of the foundational stuff so that I could be ready on day one when I hit the exit that company to enter into my own um, company. So I wrote my business plan. I created the content. I wrote my first book and I never did publish any of that stuff. I didn't publish my website and none of that until I told them I was leaving. And part of that is because strategically I knew that anything I created, any content or any books that I wrote, they were going to want to own that. So I waited until I said, hey, I'm leaving so that I got to maintain my own um, IP. And so I was very strategic in what I did. Matter of fact, I gave them a six month notice because I knew that over those six months, I needed a few more things, uh, a few, little bit more time to do a few more things to get myself prepared. So when I quit in January and I left on July 3rd, July 4th was the day I was claiming my independence, but my business had already been created. I had already set it up in the state that I was in at the time, which was Maryland. And then I had already done all of the legal stuff. So my business was up and ready to go and I didn't have to build it because most people fail in their businesses in the first one to three years because they're taking a lot of time and capital to put into building it. And I built mine before I actually um, left my job. Matt, let me say something. Anybody listening to this, you have to share this with other people. You have to share this insight with people. You're going to have to listen to this again. Dr. Shirley Davis, known as a success doctor, took three years. That's 1,100 days to plan and prepare for her exit. And that is incredible Like, like because people get so anxious to go. But you can get excited about the plan while maintaining your status as a high performer and being a significant contributor to the organization you went and giving them a level of disclosure and honesty about your plan. I think that is a a very important thing. And I like what you said about how businesses fail because there's so much capital needed to, to sustain it for it to survive. Mm -hmm. And, And I think, I think I say this to people who want to jump, um, and do their own thing. You, you, if you, you don't want to have to eat off of a tree before it's developed, because if you eat off the tree before it's developed, you'll kill it. And too many people walk away from their jobs and they need the income from their business to survive. Yeah. Right. Away. And when you, when you need money to survive, you handle clients differently. You press up on them. You yeah. call them you know, Hey, I left you a message five minutes ago. You know, you start, and then you start getting, you know, everything is a close, you know, and then people don't want to deal with you because they can tell how desperate you are. And you sell them stuff they don't even need. You know, one of the other things too, and I wanted to make sure I got that it got this in as well too, is one I'm working on. That's one of my upcoming, I've got three books in me that I'm working on, but one of them is on exit strategies, but you do have to exit Right. Any relationship. I'm not just talking about your employment relationship, but let me tell you something. It took me a little bit of time, even when I knew that I was going to lead a relationship. You know, if you're in a bad or toxic, abusive relationship, I had to plan that. I had to be strategic about how I left, when I left and all of that. So part of that comes down to life and death. But the other part of it, it it comes down to planning appropriately. So exiting anything is important. I had to exit out of bad debt. And, you know, that took time to be able to exit from one 
one mindset and mentality to another mindset. So exiting in life is about exiting right so you can enter right. The other thing I wanted to hit on this on this piece of it as well, too, is when I gave them my six month notice and everybody, I'm not saying everybody has to give a six month notice. I mean, two weeks is what is standard, but I was strategic about it because I knew that part of my job was going out meeting with clients and speaking to audiences all over the world. And my plan was every time I go out, the last slide in my speech was going to be, thank you so much for allowing me to serve you. I'm going to be leaving the organization on blankety blank date. Here's what I'm going to be doing. Here's how you can stay in touch with me. If I can be of any service to you, here's how mm-hmm. you can. So I was being strategic and I can tell you when I left, I had clients already. As a matter of fact, because I stayed in such good standing with my current employer, I literally, they were one of my first clients. So I literally signed a agreement with them to do some, um, some work with them as a consultant. Wow. Wow. Excellent. 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 Looking forward to that book. Um, exit strategies. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's get into, let's get a little deeper into the, a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, now actually the book is called the seat. I keep saying the table cause, but, but it is, it is about the table. Now, in the book, one of your statements that I, I love, and in fact, I heard you make this statement when we both were keynoting at a business conference in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and you said we must turn our contact contacts into contracts. Yes. How does that work? Give us some tips on how that works so that it's more than just a cliche, but it's actually something that's um, a tangible strategy for business development. Yeah. You know, it's so, it's so important. First of all, let me say that relationships are the new currency. It's not just money. Yeah, we know money answers with all things, but relationships is really the new currency because, and, and here's the thing, I've been in human resources most all of my career. Even though I worked in those different industries and larger companies, I was always in some form of HR and worked in every area of HR. I headed up recruiting for 10 years. And so I know that when we are hiring people, that we hire people, we promote people, we pay more to people, and we even like to do business with people that we know people that we like and people that we trust. So relationships are very important. Let me tell you what else we did. We always hired or gave preferential treatment to people who referred them to us. So it was always about relationships. So we were able to leverage the contacts of someone else to turn it into an employment contract. How I do it in my own business today is I take, I have an extensive network, both on social media, as well as just in personal relationships. And I nurture those. I foster those relationships. I give to people value. I don't take from people. I'm always looking for ways that I can serve them. 90% of all of my business, and I have uh, several businesses, but I got one big parent company with 12 different streams of revenue. And all of that comes from the referrals, 90% of my business. So I'm not doing a big, I don't do a bunch of big mass marketing campaigns. I don't send out a bunch of emails. I don't do a bunch of brochures and all of that. It literally comes from relationships. So I have learned how to make myself relatable, accessible, knowledgeable, and memorable. And people don't forget how much you know until they, until they know how much you care. And I love what my Angelo also said too, is that people want to know how much you're going to be able to add value to them. And the way you treat them is they never forget that, right? So mm. important for me is turning those contacts into contracts. Now, now because you went there, 
And you talked about this parent company. I am big on multiple streams of income. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your business and how you make money. So I run a global workforce management consulting firm and I work with organizations all over the world and I help them build inclusive, welcoming and high performing workplace cultures. I help them to build effective leaders who drive those cultures where all talent can thrive, can come to work every day and do their best work. Because what we know is that people are the ones that truly drive success. They drive business um, competitive advantage, and they are the ones that drive innovation. So in essence, I help transform organizations, but I also empower individuals becoming to become masters of their own reinvention. So I do a lot of work around inclusion and how do we build winning and welcoming cultures and what does that take and how do you integrate all of those things into your values, into your performance objectives, into your strategic plan and into your performance results so that leaders are held accountable. Okay. So that's, that's your overall, that's the parent company. Yeah. Global, the global consultant. SDS global and SDS stands for not just Shirley Davis solutions, but it really does legally. It stands for strategic development solutions. And from that business, I do consulting. I got coaching programs. I do e-learning programs. I do webinars. I do uh, full day workshops. I have books. I do a lot of um, in classroom um, seminars. I do certification programs. I do licensing programs and I do masterminds. So I've got a number of different streams from that parent company. I love it. I love it. I love yeah. it. And, and, and like, and you know, one of the things that we have to do now that we're getting older um, as entrepreneurs is figuring out because just with your list right there, um, just like mine is still a lot of performance based revenue streams. Like, mm-hmm. We still have to have to be there to deliver it and teach it. So, but 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 the ones where we can pr- produce content that continues to yes. teach and instruct without our presence, like online stuff, like yeah. and and our intellectual property, um, those are the things that we have to continue to be strategic about. And I'd love to talk to you more about that in the future as you yeah. as we continue to evolve. Um, but then at the same time, what I love about it is when you really love what you do, it doesn't feel as much like work anyway. So not at all. Not yeah. at all. I wake up every day passionate and excited. One, that I'm working for myself, but two is because I truly do see the real fruits of my labor. And I know that not only am I getting paid for it, but I also get rewarded for it, not just from them, but God is rewarding me. I know what my gifting is. I'm walking in my purpose. I'm living my best life. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche. I wake up every day excited to go and do what I do. And for me, you're right. I'm trying to build a legacy in my business. I'm trying to make it sustainable beyond me. So I replicate my business. I try to, like you said, I got e-learning programs out there. I believe in pajama money. I want to make money while I'm sleeping and while I'm walking around the house in my PJs. And so I'm training other people to go out and license my stuff to go and train to their clients. I do referral programs. And like I said, I'm certifying people. I've got 10 people on my team who are certified on my team to go out and do do the work on my behalf. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, there's another statement in your book that that got me. And that was 
regarding disengaged employees yeah. and how much they cost companies and organizations. And one of the things you said was, and I'm going to quote you on it. The first time I do this publicly, I'm quoting you. After that, it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> you said, There's a real cost of the bottom line when employees quit, but they don't leave. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you would think I would say, well, Dr. Davis, how can we help them to stay the right way? But I'm going to ask you a different question. How can we get their bodies to catch up with their hearts and get them off the bus since they already quit? You know, how do we get these people off the, out of the organization? How do we get them to move on? Because you're right. You can tell by their energy, by their by their their countenance, what they bring to meetings that they don't want to be there. Talk about that person and in your experience, the best way to basically to fire somebody. (laughs) So here is let me back up just a little bit, Keith, because the work I do as an HR professional, right, is always having an understanding that when we're recruiting people, we don't recruit disengaged people. We recruited, we're doing our jobs right as hiring managers and leaders and HR recruiters. We're hiring people who are highly engaged, who are passionate, who are excited and motivated. They're self-initiators and they got all the things that it takes. So what we have to look at is what happened between the time that we made them the offer from day one that they started and went through orientation to day 90 to day 120 to year two to year five when they became disengaged. Because if we hiring right, something happens. So oftentimes what we find is that people don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad leaders or bad bosses and they leave toxic cultures. So some of that we have to be careful that we don't just fire the person itself and we have to be able to separate that from whether or not this is something that's systemic and institutional that was was a cause of it. So that's the one yeah. thing. And if you've done yeah. all those things, yes, and then you have a person who then just kind of turns sour, they have bad experiences or whatever, then you have to f- look at ways on how do you salvage them. And I tell leaders in between, if you're a great leader, you should catch a person long before they get fully disengaged. You should be looking at their level of motivation and whether or not they're invested and whether or not they're just showing up at work for the paycheck and are they truly fully productive, right? Because when you're disengaged, most companies are at the most getting 30 to 40% productivity. But let's say you've done all of those things. It's a great company to work for. You are awesome boss. You're doing everything right. And they still won't act right. Then you do have to, you know, start to have those conversations and hold them accountable. You know, you can still try to salvage them if you can and get them from disengaged over to engagement. But if that still doesn't work and you've exhausted all of those avenues, then you do have to release them to their destiny. And one of the things that I learned from Herb Kelleher from, uh, he used to work, he used to be the CEO of Southwest Airlines. He taught me a long time ago when I was managing a team of 23 people with nine directs and two of them were mismatched in their skill sets. They should have never been hired in a position. And I spent 18 months trying to save these two people, but I was losing the other 21. And so I had learned from him is that sometimes you have to fire to inspire. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to release people to their next level, to their next, uh, to their next point of purpose. And it may not be at the company. And so you have to give them, you know, every opportunity to improve, give them strategies and give them a roadmap on how to improve by a certain period of time. And then when they don't, then you have to allow them to move to their next, their next gig. That's very helpful. Very helpful. Great, great content. Before we get into rapid fire, I got one more question. 
Um, another game changer quote, quote uh, for me on this matter of employee engagement was when you said, focus on employee engagement first and customer satisfaction and bottom line results will follow. And I think, you know, when you're a business leader, business owner, you're running a corporation or a nonprofit or a church, you know, it's typical to say, you know, the customers come first. We got to take care of our customers. We got to take care of our parishioners. But you challenge that with that statement saying, if we make sure the employees are engaged first, then those other things will take care of themselves. Yes. Because here's the thing, Keith, when you have a highly engaged, motivated employee, they're going to treat your customers right, but they're also going to treat your company assets right. They're going to come up with a better solution. They're going to come up with new ideas. They're not going to be the problems. They're going to be the problem solvers. So when you can get that part of it right and focus on your employees first, they're going to drive the other things. You can't get great customer service if you have a poor toxic culture, if you have a highly disengaged worker, or if you have a leader who's not giving them the right development and the right training and the right coaching and feedback. So it really does start with getting the right people on the bus, getting the right people in the right seats. And as Jim Collins says, you don't have to worry about where they'll go. They'll take you where you need to go. But as a leader, we've got to be able to manage that very, very closely and make sure that we're investing in our people and giving them what they need to be set up for success. And then they will take care of your customers, your clients. They'll take care of your assets. They'll take care of your money. I love it. I love it. I love it. Great stuff. Great stuff. We're almost out of time. So I want to do this. This is just a fun thing we do. Okay. To know our guests better. This is so the people who are listening can get to know you better. And, and afterwards, I'm going to tell them, you can tell them how to reach you, how to okay. follow you, how to keep up with you and how to reach you if they want to hire you to consult or train or speak. So this is rapid fire. Some questions are, here's my first question. What's your favorite thing or things to do for leisure or downtime? I moved from Washington, D.C. four years ago so I could do exactly what I'm doing every day. I have free time, and that is to sit by the water or sit at one of the best beaches in the country. I'm also a movie buff, so I love to do that. I'm an HGTV junkie, and I love to watch Hallmark movies. So those are some of the things that keep me at kind of my downtime and keep me sane, and I love to power walk. I do four miles a day. Wow. I think, you know, really – it's, it's, it's a rapid fire question, but it's just as important as everything else we said before, because if we don't create those kinds of things in our life, we're, we're going to crash and burn. You got to yep. have the other side of your life. And I really like the fact that you you were able to say emphatically, here's what I do when I'm not working. Yep. Next question. What book or books are you reading right now? I'm an avid reader, um, and so I'm reading right now Crushing by T.D. Jakes. I love, love, love that. I'm reading another one called Unthreatened, and it's a godly man under female leadership. It was written by a man whose wife is a bishop, and he's been he's an overseer, but he was a pastor under her. Great, great learning, but it's good even for men, and men particularly of color, who are threatened or intimidated or insecure when they've got a powerful, professional, successful woman by their side, and they don't take, um, you know, they don't, they take it for granted. They don't take full advantage of that. I'm also reading John Maxwell's book on developing uh, the leader within. And then I'm reading one other one called becoming an agile leader. Cause I'm doing a lot of work on disruptive and, um, and agile leadership. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, most people who are busy cannot be reading one book at a time. We don't really, 
sitting through sitting down and reading through one book is just not going to work for me. Anyway. Look, I sit in airports and I sit on planes going to the West Coast all the time. I got five hours, so I can go to two or three books. So yeah, and then you know who's that book Unthreatened by? By the way, who's it by? Um, his name is Terry McMillan. He's awesome. Look him up on Facebook under Unthreatened. It's called A Godly Man Under Female Leadership. Really, really good. Awesome. Top three books of all time you've read. Oh, obviously the Bible. That's that's never unending. That keeps me sane. That keeps me wise. And it helps me every day to stay uh, balanced. Um, also, The Purpose Driven Life for me. I've read that several times. The all time favorite seven habits of highly effective people. Um, and then Jim Collins from Good to Great. I love that one. And then, of course, my favorite, my mentors. It's not over until you win by Les Brown. Great. I like how you did that. So that's the preacher in you. So when somebody asked you for three books, I noticed how you gave them five. I like that. Good move. <laughs> how would you describe your ideal client? One who has money, one who has been referred by someone else who has seen and, and been a um, recipient of some of my work from before. One who is clear about um, at least what they're needing in general. I mean, I'll help them solve a lot of their problems, but I'm looking for those clients that are really committed and sincere about making a real culture change and about really making leaders great. That's important to me. I don't want to be uh, just, and sometimes I will say no when I know that they just want to check a box and they just want to be able to say they did something, but not real serious and committed to making a real change. Awesome. Awesome. Here's the situation. God's giving you an opportunity. He says you can give one talk. That's it. Before you die, you're going to give one talk. You have one hour to give one talk. <laughs> Who's your audience and what's your topic? Huh. Now you, you, know, can't hear me. you got I know you're a preacher, so you're gonna try to go you're gonna try to say one one and one A and one B. No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna stay true to the question. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm doing what, I, what I'm called and, and, and passionate and purpose to do, right? And that's to help organizations become great and really to be more inclusive and to value diversity. So if I had that one hour, I will go on a national, or I should say an international global uh, TV station and do a press conference for that one hour. My audience will be presidents of companies, of states, presidents of, of uh, countries and CEOs, but it also would be the world. It would be individuals around the world. And really what my message would be is how important it is that we not only recognize that a key to any country or company's success is the value of and the power of diversity and how key and critical it is in this day and age in a polarizing society that we recognize that civility is still important, is still critical that we need inclusion and that diversity is at the core of all of our success. So I would end it with Ubuntu, right? Which is an African term for I am because we are. And so I would really make that call to civility, to respect and dignity, a return to recognizing that there is power and value in diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of gifts, diversity of strengths, diversity of the ways that we see the world, recognizing that that helps makes us, make us better. Great, great. This one will be easy. What's your favorite sports team, if you have one? Um, I do. The Washington Wizards and the Washington Redskins. I'm, I'm still D.C. at heart. I was there for 30 years. All right. What's your favorite dessert? 
chocolate almond chip ice cream by Friendly's with hot fudge over that and fresh Oreo cookies that are crunched up. <laughs> That's I eat it funny. every night. Don't judge me. Well, day. That's part of the downtime. <laughs> What's your favorite favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie? Um, I have three. So Beaches by, you know, Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey started. I love Beaches, but Coming to America with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. And I love, love, love The Wiz with Michael Jackson and Diana Ross. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> who are the four people? See, I, gave, I didn't limit it to one on this. Who are the four people who have influenced your life the most? Obviously, my parents really, really put in me and instilled in me the faith that I have, the wisdom that I have, and then the self-esteem that I have. That's important. My daughter was a driver for why I do what I do. And, and she's the one that, for me, I want to leave a legacy to. So she drives and influences me. Jesus Christ influences everything I do as a person, decisions that I make, the life that I live. And then Les Brown, who was uh, my mentor in business and still today is a good friend of mine and helps me to take my my business to the next level all the time. Awesome. Were you an only child? No, I'm the only girl and I'm the oldest. So yeah, I'm a daddy's girl. What about it? Ah, <laughs> I got three you. brothers. So yeah, I got three younger brothers, but I grew up with as the oldest. And then I, you know, I love, love, love my brothers. I'm still real close to them. Great. Great. Last question. What would you like to be doing 10 years from now? So in this month, 10 years down the road, what would you like to be doing? So I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have to say I'm going to be doing what I'm doing now, but to a much broader, larger, more profitable level. I'm Like I said, I'm living my dream now. All I want to do is just continue to replicate that. I got a couple of more books that I will have written in 10 years. I've got a couple more businesses that I would have launched. I'll have a home by the beach. I've already been to 32 countries and by 2030, I want to have visited about 20 more. So I will have done, you know, done much more of my world traveling and seeing a lot of the world. I'm going to continue to work on my health and make sure that I continue to be vibrant and look good at 63. 10 years from now, I'll be 63. Looking 43, feeling 23. Well, well. Alright, alright. All right. <laughs> hey, Dr. Davis, that's Shirley Davis, y'all. She's a success doctor. She's from the DMV area. Uh, did you go to high school? Where'd you go to high school? Friendly High School out in Fort Washington, Maryland. Went to University of Maryland. Where, what, what school? Friendly. Oh, Friendly High School. Got it. That's yeah. why you like Friendly's ice cream. Got you. <laughs> great, great. What a privilege it's been to have you on this week's podcast. Hey, how can our listeners connect with you? How can they follow you on social media? Yeah, please tell them. Go to LinkedIn. Find me on Shirley Davis, PhD. Go to Facebook and like my page, The Success Doctor. Go to Instagram, The Success Doctor. And go to Twitter, Dr. Shirley Davis. Go to my website, DrShirleyDavis.com. I'm all over the place, so I want to stay connected with you. And how can they get that incredible book, this this book, The Seat? How can they get that? They can go to theseat.org or they can go to my website, drshirleydavis.com and go to the store and it will be there and available. I look forward to autographing it and getting it out to whoever wants a copy of these strategies. Awesome. Awesome. It's been great. Hey, y'all. Another great podcast. Great information. Great guests. You can't. Hey. You got, you got to, you, you got to, you got to be grateful for this. I am 
I learned a lot from Thank you. Dr. Davis. It's been, and, wonderful. It's been my pleasure. It's been an awesome experience. Thank you for the awesome questions. Really, really good conversation. It blessed me. I'm gonna go get the I'm gonna get a copy of the podcast. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I mean it when I say, you know, it, it takes a lot to impress me in a speech or in a book. And I was very impressed by your writing, your research, how thorough and in and in depth it was in depth it was. And I think sometimes we kind of take for granted people that we know well. Because yeah. you know, my wife went to college with you, so I'm you know, we met we met thirty years ago. Yep. When people are your contemporaries, we tend to we tend to not pay a lot of attention to what they're doing. But being able to dig into your book and and have this kind of conversation makes me greatly appreciative of the of the value you're adding to the kingdom and to our world. And I celebrate you today and thank you for being our guest. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Please spread the word. Here's Shirley up. She's a success doctor on several social media platforms. Dr. Shirley Davis on others. Get her book. You'll be blessed by it. If you run a company, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an employee, you're just trying to be your best. She's really inspirational and doing great things. So thanks again for tuning in, everybody. And we'll catch you right back here next week, right here on the Keith Battle Podcast. Thanks.